0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. So we could actually come to a resolution and stop just talking. This is not just a talk show host, your host Daniel Horowitz back here today. On Tuesday, the 25th of July, we don't just talk, we do. And the bottom line is, we have 10, 12 civilization problems dealing with life, liberty, property, our culture, our civilization, our economy, our ability to, as we keep talking about it, with the economy, to live the standard of living that our parents and grandparents lived, Um, everything that you could even imagine would matter to a country and even if you're not a country just our way of life. And it's time we stop dancing around in a circle broadly complaining about a problem and broadly agreeing about it, but then not just not doing what it takes, but accepting people and ideas that are antithetical to what we claim to care about. And and this is what I don't understand. So today we're going to do this with the FBI and the weaponization. We're going to define the problem and identify what we need to do and exactly the leverage points, the states, the budgets that need to be done. We're going to be having on Stephen Friend. We talked about him before. Uh, he is the big uh, FBI whistleblower. You've seen him at some of the hearings. Uh, and he is, he's is he got a lot of great information, great, great patriot. So we're, we're just going to cut straight to the chase on that. But before he comes on, I just want to open up today with the fact that it's not just the fact that I'm concerned with with Trump creating this cult around a personality rather than a set of unfixed, unmoving ideas that are directed towards an outcome. But it's like, you know, let's say, you know, Trump wins the nomination, all right, I mean, he's way ahead, go win it, okay, whatever. But my concern is that we're continuing the same problems we had my entire career, really probably since Reagan, albeit together with Trump's luggage. It's not even like I've been saying Trump is the new establishment, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. But the irony is it would be one thing if, you know, everything Trump does is okay, is fine, Br- Bruce Jenner, the anti-life stuff, the pro-tranny stuff, the pro-vaccine stuff. But everyone else who does it, at least we won't tolerate it. You know, there's some sort of, I don't know what it is, some sort of charm of this guy that just gets people off. I don't get it. But everyone else, we're totally fine. And when it comes to the congressional leadership races and the state legislatures and the gubernatorial elections and the senators and then every day in between the elections holding them accountable, we were peddled to the metal. I could be totally on board with that but the problem is that we are still holding at the point where we are elevating the worst and most subversive people to positions of prominence even post-maga all right when we're all told like no one's gonna you know deal with this you know pro-affirmative action pro-police reform type of thing. We're done with those weenie Republicans. But then you have a guy like Tim Scott comes out of nowhere and I see people saying all these nice things about him it's like, what the heck? How do you not know his record? And that got me thinking, wait a minute. South Carolina itself is reflective of this red state problem we have that we are nowhere close to rectifying and really... Nowhere further in this battle, advancing in this battle, than we were before. So I want to get to all that and more today. First, our sponsor is Birch Gold. Gold, by the way, is going up again. There is, There are a lot of signs that stagflation is upon us, and I'll have an article out tomorrow on that. But I wanted to notify you guys, we're days away from the Durban Accords. It's the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years, Um, I believe it will be August 22nd, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency fully backed by gold and other commodities. And this is part of their long-term plan to supplant the U.S. dollar. So how can you protect your IRA and 401k from the fallout? Diversify with gold from birch gold. Uh, Historically, gold has been a safe bet in times Not nearly as bad as like this, certainly the times we live in. So text Daniel, the word Daniel, to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold IRAs and decide for yourself if a tax-sheltered retirement account backed by precious metals is the right fit for you. There's been a monumental shift happening among nations that control really one-third of the world's GDP. This is a big, big deal. The dollar is going down. And it's time to save yourself. Text Daniel to to the number 989898 and claim your free info kit from Birch Gold. And, you know, I'm just thinking kind of in this mentality of Noah's Ark wall builders like Nehemiah, we need to just kind of save ourselves. I'm not even trying to save save the country. I'm trying to save ourselves. And the only way we're going to do that is to create red state enclaves. And it just got me thinking as I was looking at um, Tim Scott. And I was thinking... What the heck is it that a state like South Carolina, this is not California, not Hawaii, not Vermont. It's the state of South Carolina that is the only state that has two men in their 50s, never, never married. And they're horrible on every issue that matters. I saw Tim Scott put out an email, like a fundraiser. You know, you get put on all their fundraisers. They get a hold of your your emails. And I see this title of The Era of Victimhood is Over. And I look at it, and I feel like throwing up. He's playing that game of, ooh, the black conservative, like kind of like trying to be Clarence Thomas. But he's antithetical to that. His entire career was built upon. you, you, You should have heard his reaction to George Floyd and police reform, working with Hakim Jeffries and Cory Booker on jailbreak because of the lie that he perpetuates that blacks are disproportionately pulled over and disproportionately, you know, locked up. I mean, he literally talks about this. And then he he nuked two very good judicial nominees because they spoke out against racial pandering and racial preferences, and, you know, one of them spoke out against this, uh, all these, like, ethnic school, group uh, college groups, and he said, you know, we, they're, they're divisive and we shouldn't do this. He is the antithesis of his message, message. He is the prototype of victimhood. And now he comes along and everyone's like, oh, that's a nice message. And yeah, I get it that it's milk toast enough that it's not like he's going to go anywhere, but it's enough that he's sucking up donors from DeSantis. It's enough that he's going on the debate stage. And... You know, while people, I think most voters are going to be underwhelmed by him, but how could a guy like that even raise his head after what he did to us? Imagine having a Democrat that subverts the left on every major issue could, like, show his face in public, much less run for, for president. This guy shouldn't be allowed to win his Senate seat. And yet he'll have no problems. Meaning, what this tells me is, even if he doesn't go anywhere in the presidential election, he'll be very in a very strong position to constantly win re-election, just like Lindsey Graham. What is he on his third term, fourth term? How does that happen? And that happens because we have fake leaders that are not focused on where their influence could land the most. They're focused on but the Democrats. They're not focused on their own states, their own races. They're not building the case against them like I do. So, voters are largely, yeah, maybe I don't like him too much, but at least he's not a Democrat. And this is what we're going to continue to get. You look around the map, we are nowhere closer to solving this problem. Montana, we have a Senate race. The Club for Growth seems to be hinting they're going to pull out for Matt Rosendale. And look, you know, they, they coalesce support the Trump establishment between McConnell, McCarthy, Steve Danes. And, and the Trump world, they're all going to support the rhino. That's it. And, and again, I'm talking about, forget about knocking off terrible incumbents. We're not knocking off a single one. But I'm talking about, you know, even open seats. We are not advancing the ball. We are not advancing the ball. This is my concern. I don't care what you think about the presidential election. But if you look at what DeSantis was able to accomplish policy-wise and then use that to destroy the power of the left and turn one of the most important states in the country and one of the most important swing states into a red state, how is that not the standard going forward? Now, we see why now, because now he's like, you know, he's may as well be a dirtbag. And nobody cares about anything. only a corrupted movement could be happy with this there's also a dirty little secret a lot of us have been talking about and which is why i think it is important to preach to the choir to make red states redder, because that's really the thing because our choir is weak a lot of our people aren't really conservative There's a dirty little secret that the left has worn down society so much that even the people that claim to be repulsed by them, they also indulge it so much, and they define themselves by it, that again, what they do is they fight with the left, move three inches to the right, and stake out their landscape of battle based upon that, but really, you look at the Overton window over the course of a generation, and it's like our most right people are to the left of where, you know... I want to say the 2006 Democrats were. Remember, Rahm Emanuel was the DCCC chair. He recruited the majority makers that you know, won the majority for the Democrats for the first time in 12 years. That's when Pelosi was ushered in. We all know about Pelosi, but all the seats they won then were people that were more anti-homosexual agenda than any Republican today. And again, I'm not going back to the 1950s. This is 2006. So this is my question before we go on and talk about the FBI today, and, and it really ties in. Where is the agenda? Okay, so Trump wins, wins the nomination. What is your endgame? What is your exit strategy? What is it you want to do on the top 10 issues, and how are you going to do it, and how are you going to change the face of the Republican Party? Because Trump has been the fixture for seven years, and it has not changed so that's what I'm saying putting him aside how do you stop this phenomenon of Tim Scott like ah we're done with that no you're not ironically as you know even a better voter voting record than a lot of these other Republicans and he's been horrible I've been talking about him for years but yet he could come along you know Steve was telling me a prominent person he knows in Iowa was you know impressed with him like How do you not know this guy literally says Cory Booker's talking point about blacks being locked up too much? He, he, I I don't understand it. He is the biggest neocon, the biggest awful on every issue we care about. So I'm worried about down ballot, both the general election, but also primaries. And by the way, I, I just have to say one thing. I'm not really going to get into presidential politics today. But Tony Fabrizio, he is Trump's pollster. He did a poll together with a Democrat counterpart to make it bipartisan. So this this is, an, this is truly, you know, you, you have uh, each campaign puts out a poll, and then you have independent polls. You want an independent one. This is better than independent because, A, it's bipartisan, and, B, it's their own guy. They did a poll of 40 swing House seats. And they found DeSantis tied with Biden in them, but Trump losing by four. Trump performs eight points worse than DeSantis with independent voters. But forget about DeSantis. What are you going to do? That's a big problem. It's not immutable over 16 months. Anything could happen. But based on the last three elections where the electorate seems to be pretty fixed... And then the polls are showing it's kind of continuing that way. What is your what is your plan? What is the plan? You know, my plan, if you notice, is not just to pull out, just vote DeSantis. <laughs> Our plan is we focus on so many other issues and strategies. I mean, literally, literally, I, I promise you. As I'm talking, you might have heard my phone beep. As I'm saying this. A staffer from a member of the House says, Daniel, could you look over our list of demands on PAWPAW? That's the pandemic and hazard preparedness reauthorization bill. Without that reauthorization, BARDA and the Office of Pandemic Assistant, uh, Assistant Secretary for Pandemics goes away. There's so much leverage there. This is the type of stuff I work on. You know, I don't get paid. By the way, I don't get paid to do this. I get paid to mouth off. Technically, my pay is to be a conservative media figure for a conservative media outlet I don't get paid one iota to do any of the policy work I do which is most of my time but again I pledge that if I'm going to get into this for a living and my father at first is like what the hell type of you know job is that you know everyone else kind of had a normal job whatever accounting finance you know engineering whatever it is and I sit and go into this well I figured if I'm going to do it I'm going to do it right That's why Rush, before he died, Rush Limbaugh called conservative review solid, reliable, and incorruptible. And I plan on keeping that. But let's move this on to a specific issue and what we can do about it. Now, as I give you a 2020 vision on politics, you really need it with your eyesight. You know why? Because your eyesight is also your brain. Our interview segment today is sponsored by Better Spectacles. Did you know... That we see with our brain, not just our eyes. Our brain constantly senses what's happening around us. How and what we see not only depends on the strength of our eyes, but also helps the brain make optimal decisions. It sure seems like some people in this fake conservative movement and Republican Party uh, need some Rodenstock eyewear from better spectacles. Their biometric Intel glasses work with your brain to adapt instantly. You won't have to go home and get used to it. I used to have that when I was a kid, uh, but but the ones I have now, they're natural, relaxing. I didn't even know. I didn't even have to get used to it. Um, also, you will experience great, big, wide, peripheral vision. Very important. Precise depth perception and the largest reading zone of any lenses on the market. Again, and also, they share our values. They really are the only conservative eyewear company I know of. Uh, So go now to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment and to get your glasses for 61% off. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Go now. So we all heard last year, we were waiting for someone, someone in these agencies to speak out that this is not okay. I don't care if you're right, left, in between. But if you got into this business, especially... Of law enforcement post 9 11, you want to deal with bad guys, you didn't get in to go after political enemies. The notion that people, uh, you know, like Bigo on January 6th, that kind of goofed around a little bit here and there, is a domestic terrorist that deserves 10 years in prison. Someone's got to deal with this, someone's got to put a stop to this. The surveillance, the targeting. And we're all wondering where are these whistleblowers? Well, there was one, Steve Friend. He was a 12-year veteran of the FBI, served for uh, some years on the SWAT team as well, which is very important because we're talking about the literal overkill, use of force against you know pro-life activists. Uh, he worked out of the Daytona Beach office, um, and he, he gave it up. He gave it up, lost his job, to speak the truth. And he's a little frustrated that he feels like his sacrifice is not really landing. This is an issue that is really universal. You know, we talk about a lot of this stuff. Some don't want to cover the vaccines. Some don't want to deal with the training issue. But this issue is, like, universal on the so-called right, that the FBI and really the adjacent agencies and DHS as well, they are targeting Americans. That's, like, beyond the nightmare scenario, and it needs to be dealt with. But like, like many other issues... They're acting like a bunch of guys dancing around in a circle with ski masks and AK-47s rather than advancing on a target. Okay, identify the problem and deal with it. We've, we've heard all these hearings. We've had a lot of oversight and judiciary hearings in the House. And, and Steve has been brought in once or twice. But from what I'm hearing, they're more concerned about the censorship part, which is a problem But it's more like the way these agencies are working and how those programs, those surveillance programs on people that prima facie did not commit crimes need to be shut down. Well, Daniel, we don't have the presidency. Well, you have the power of the purse. You have the power of the purse. Then there's the states. What could states do? And I do want to say one other thing that some of you might have seen this big headline that Kevin McCarthy started hinting about impeachment. That the Biden corruption with the Ukrainian payoffs might be might be elevated to the level of impeachment. Now, first off, it's kind of interesting that every Republican seems to recognize the corruption with Ukraine, but somehow they don't connect the dots with our Ukraine policy, the administration shoveling endless money and weapons there, and they downright support it. I mean, you know, almost all the Senate Republicans, two-thirds of the House Republicans, including McCarthy. So that's kind of interesting. But number two... And I know this is going to be unpopular with some of you. I do think impeachment is a distraction. Impeachment is something that you need all three, not all three, but the Senate to support. Now, you can impeach the guy, but it won't go anywhere. Historically, it, it swings against us. It, it will make Biden more sympathetic. It will, it, it will make his numbers go up. Half the Senate Republicans will dump on it. So you're going to look really weak. Every Dem and half the Senate Republicans will vote against it. So it's going to backfire. And you might say, well, Daniel, a budget fight also, the Senate Republicans won't join us. Yeah, that's fine. But you know what happens if the Senate doesn't pass our budget? The government, including the FBI, gets no funding. So that's our leverage. Whereas here, it's like, well, you don't vote to convict, it goes away. In order to affirmatively pass something, you need both houses to agree. Whereas a budget is enough for one branch to say, the, and especially the House, which has more leverage without a filibuster, that is really where it, it it should go and I fear that impeachment will distract, it will make everything about that, it will go nowhere, it will harm our numbers in the general election, and you know it is much better to have a funding fight where you a you have more leverage b you're focused on the issue where we win much more than on on personality and c. You know, if you pursue the impeachment route, it will allow McCarthy to seamlessly do what he did on the debt ceiling, to do that on the appropriation bills and the other maybe reauthorization bills. We already got screwed on the FAA bill. You have Papa, you have FISA, which very much ties into this. So... I am not into that. We need a funding fight. And who better to bring on to talk about funding for the FBI than Steve, friend himself. Hey, hey, Steve, thanks so much for your service. And more importantly, thanks so much for sacrificing your career to speak the truth. And welcome to Blaze Media.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: All right, Steve. And I, I know you're, you're a big fan of, of our show, of, of Steve Dace's show. And we're fans of yours. And I'd be remiss to not start off with this question I've been dying to ask you forever. How is it that, you know, we're, we're not talking about the EPA here, you know, where, where there's a certain demographic that gets involved in that. The FBI, especially those who signed up after 9-11, there's got to be more people that downright think like us, or if they don't think exactly like us, they're certainly not hardcore anarchist communists that just want to target political opponents. Why are you such an anomaly? Where are your former colleagues?
0: That's yeah, a good question. I, you know, I think that there's a couple of different uh, issues that are at play here. I think uh, there's first and foremost the, the, the gap between management and rank and file. And you look at the, the management structure and the way that that rhythm works within the FBI. You have to enter that very early in your career. So you have very inexperienced people uh, from a, an investigative standpoint that are ascending this ladder. And the way that they do that is by proposing new ideas essentially inventing a solution and looking for a problem. And that sort of self-selects to a leftist ideology. And then those people are in a position to call the shots. Whereas the people that are about uh, Joe Friday, just the facts and want to do the the work that we all kind of know from pop culture that the FBI is supposed to do are just kind of going about and doing the bidding of these, these managers that are, are calling the shots and, and, Another component to that's, that's sort of tied and it's really been my cause that I've tried to bring to the forefront is the fact that the FBI implemented about 10 years ago a quota system in the form of the integrated program management, as they label it. And as a result of that, uh, people's hands are tied and they're, they're sort of directed into what they can do. And they're, uh, convinced that doing the mission of the FBI and in checking the boxes and hitting these quota metrics that they're, they're told to do is essentially doing their job.
1: Whoa, so, this, so th- there's two things that are very profound that I want to flesh out for our audience there. So number one, management. Am I getting this right, that you're saying that the you know it's not a matter of I, – I picture FBI agents like you. I picture you a know, military type of guy, gets in their SWAT team, knows how to handle firearms like you see in the movies. But you're saying it's not that type of guy that's the grunt that does the work You know, five years, 10 years, 15 years – That becomes a manager. He kind of stays in the grunt work. The people that become managers are from day one, and they're not necessarily that type of demographic.
0: Precisely, and if you want to promote to the highest levels of the FBI, you have to start the process very early in your career. Around six years is when you're eligible to take that first temporary assignment to the mecca that is the J. Edgar Hooper Building for your 18-month tour of duty, and you have to continually go back to Washington, D.C., and then come back to the field, and 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 just by sheer osmosis, I think you imbibe that culture and then bring that back out to the field, and then now you have a. Uh, middle management on up level of folks who are believers in that system and, and really their passion is not in law enforcement. I, mean, I, I joined the FBI because I want to put bad guys in jail. They seem to have reoriented their priorities to make their passion in promotion. They're not really interested in doing the job they're assigned to do. They're interested in, in setting the groundwork to climb the next rung up that ladder.
1: Okay, so that makes it a little bit more satisfying, just intellectually, because I've always been a big supporter of law enforcement and and this whole, it's not even my natural habitat to be talking the way I am. And a lot of us, I think, are in the same boat. But you're saying it's like, there's the law enforcement, the way an average citizen would view it. And then there's like bureaucrats, I mean, these may as well be a HUD or Department of Commerce guy, that's what they, they are. But those are the people calling the shots, but still... Why is it that there aren't more people who served on, like, you FBI SWAT that are like, wait a minute, you know, we're all for coming in with firepower to go after uh, bad guys but not um, pro-life activists or someone accused of, um, you know, being inside the Capitol and giving a speech?
0: Well, I I think that there's uh, an element to it that people think – that they have to just follow orders i think that that then that history never smiles very kindly on that worldview. but uh, people bring in even military background they think they're just following orders. they're doing what they're told and they're not really doing the critical thought that's necessary on so many of these cases uh, and a lot of them uh sort of convince themselves and or delude themselves that they have to do this to to feed their family they have a a roof to keep over their kid's head they have to put food on the table uh and they, they justify the actions that are not in keeping with their oath of office. And I think another element to this, and this is something that I uh, pushed out today through Center for Renewing America with our recommended uh, budget changes, is that the, the transfer process that the FBI uses, where I joined the FBI and I was relocated from Georgia to Iowa. And, uh, and, and if I ever wanted to get back, anywhere that's close to my hometown or my family, uh, I'm kind of tied to the FBI then. I have to kind of put my head down and don't rock the boat in order to get that paid for move. Uh, but people are then financially beholden and they're more willing to go along with these orders that are completely mm-hmm. inconsistent with the oath of office that they swore.
1: Wow. No, that, that, that is important. And, and by the way, I, I apologize. I should, should have mentioned right now, you have become a fellow at the center for renewing America uh, run by our friend Russ votes there Um so about this quota system, so you're saying it's not just the, the raw ideological problem that we see behind things like the obsessive targeting of January 6th. That was coming after you're saying a decade of culture where they, they, they don't just say, hey, here's a problem, shoot at it. They define a problem and say, we want to quote a certain number of this type of case. Whether that is the most pressing thing or not, they run the incentive promotion bonus structure based on how many X number of cases you get for something. So if it becomes an obsession, whether it should or not, then that is the new, you know, ladder climbing uh, mentality. And then January 6th just fell right into that. And now it's like, whoa, get as many cases as you want. So it's the tag, the tail wagging the dog.
0: Correct. I mean, federal bureaucracy is a self-licking ice cream cone, and and the IPM quota system is 10 years old. and And even before January 6th comes along, you look at domestic terrorism, which the FBI is pushing out, there's a political narrative to that, and they want to justify enhanced budgets. And the number of domestic terrorism cases has quadrupled since the quota system was implemented 10 years ago. And then January 6th comes along, and that is an absolute boondoggle for for the FBI because they depart from the rules where January 6th should be one case in Washington, D.C., with whoever you want to investigate for committing a, a legitimate crime. But instead, the decision was made to open a separate case for every single person, and then assign those cases to one of the 56 field offices that uh, had the area of responsibility where the subject lived. So if, if they lived in Daytona, uh, the Jacksonville field office would be responsible for that person. And, and now we've created the illusion that there's a domestic terrorist in Daytona Beach, Florida, when it's somebody who walked through the Capitol on January 6th and isn't really an ongoing national security concern.
1: So... Here's where it gets to the congressional hearings. And you know, I, I have been very disappointing because I expected it to target here are the bullet points. Here are the programs, offices, and policies that are the problem. And that's what the hearings would reveal as serving as a hammer into the anvil of a budget fight where you then go and defund those things. I know some people want to abolish the FBI. Whether you do or not, it, it's politically, I don't think you're going to get there. So you have to give something that's realistic that's going to actually do something, whereas now it's just going to be kind of like, yeah, you know, a few percent across the board cuts from very record high levels of spending that I just don't think is going to cut it. And that's if they stand behind their bill, which they likely, you know, won't, would they never do like they did with the debt ceiling. So, you know, if I were in a hearing... And, and you're coming in front of me. I'm a Republican on the House Judiciary Committee. I, I, I look at the original New York Post article on your whistleblower revelations and accusations that you are complaining about, about your former office, and a couple things stand out. But to me, my first question would be this. FBI domestic terrorism cases are being opened on innocent American citizens who are nowhere near the Capitol, On January 6th, based on anonymous tips to an FBI hotline or from Facebook spying on their messages, these tips are turned into investigative tools called guardians after the FBI software that collates them. That would concern me. Could you describe that a little bit more, what you saw, um, on the scope of the sort of people that could get roped into January 6th, and when DOJ now is going after another thousand, who are those people?
0: Well, the, the DOJ is, is expanding the area outside the Capitol, so not even going into the four walls, if you will, of the building. They're going to say that the, the lawn outside is a restricted area, so they can grab up another 1,000 people into this drag net and keep this going as long as possible. But as far as the Guardian goes, that you need to think of that as like the 911 tip line for the FBI. And calls come in, uh, they're routed through a call center in West Virginia There's about 3,500 tips a day could come in by email or, or telephone and, and the people there kind of cull through them, figure out where the uh, the tip is and they, they disseminate it to the field. And uh, in the aftermath of January 6th, there was a huge influx of these these tips that came in. And, and just in my conversations with people that were in position to look at so many more of them than I had, uh, much of them were uh, not law enforcement matters. They were personal grievances and or just things that, that law enforcement has no business uh, in, investigating, like first amendment protective activity. You would get a uh, tip saying like, well, my my neighbor has a, a MAGA flag and I was probably there. So you should probably go and look into him and it was wow. neighbors informing our neighbors for that reason. And, and really typically as a law enforcement officer, you would look at that and say, look, that's not something I can resource. There's no crime that's been alleged and I wouldn't look into it. But, uh, with January 6th, we were pressured to go and talk to everybody who could be tangentially connected. And, and if they were, then cases were open. And if they weren't, uh, then that you have an additional contact. And, and so many times you would go and talk to Daniel Horowitz and he'd say, well, no, I wasn't there, but I, I, think my, uh, I think my buddy was. And we'd say, well, what's your buddy's name? And then we would be able to spin off another investigation from that just because we'd had that organic conversation with you
1: so that's very scary in a closely divided country that and, and also january 6 2021 was right in that zone that right you know following up on that year where the people were acculturated to police each other and patrol each other and snitch on each other you know you're not wearing a mask and and this is this is what it is now um, and that really scares me in the long run. to me, that's the biggest concern that you could have people that are exercising their First Amendment rights that have to be scared now. you can get a knock from the FBI i mean I, I had a friend in uh you know Michigan that had an anti lockdown group he got he got a got a visit. you know it was a very friendly visit, but he got a visit and that's because someone called on him and that is a very scary thing and like you're saying in law enforcement. Typically they would have discernment. They would know when it's some sort of bull domestic like dispute where someone doesn't like someone and there's nothing there's no there there. But now you can't assume that. Do you feel like House Republicans are taking this seriously?
0: No, I, I don't. I think that the, the purpose of a hearing, I've sort of compared it to a, a Broadway show. Uh, The rehearsal process is when they get their subpoenas and when they call in the witnesses for their transcribed interviews and and they learn the real facts that uh, the whistleblowers are bringing forward when they actually hold the hearing. That is for a presentation for the American people. The, the Congress people there are not learning anything new. They're uh, sort of working as prosecutors, and they should. They should, uh, in, especially in the case of uh, the IRS whistleblowers a week ago or the, the FBI whistleblowers like myself, I'm experienced. I've testified hundreds of times in front of uh, jury trials or grand juries. That room does not intimidate me. The Republicans, if they were really intent on presenting a good case, should have nominated one member of the committee, and every time it was a Republican's opportunity to speak, that individual could walk the witnesses through the information they they brought out, and they could share that with the American people. But instead, what we got were five-minute bits where people were trying to get their viral moment that they could then put on a fundraising email (laughs) or get them on the cable news at night. And and it was just a tremendous opportunity loss because the Democrats then – can pontificate and really just aggravate the average listener who wants to, or viewer who wants to learn something. And they just change the channel and they, they tune out and they're not interested because it's the same thing as, as you know, how children yelling back and forth at each other.
1: That, that's really disappointing because, you know, it should be an educational opportunity, like you're saying, because you're building support. To me, a hearing is to build support for a particular policy. Now, I guess that presupposes you're trying to aim towards a specific policy. So do you get the impression that Republicans are aiming towards anything? In other words, if you look at what are they trying to do with the FBI, and then I want to get to what you think should be done at a federal level.
0: I, I think they're getting distracted by a shiny object, uh, similar to the way you just talked about, the, uh, the impeachment versus the budget fight. I think that the Republicans view having a hearing as a victory And that they are going to hold up maybe uh, depriving the FBI of a new headquarters building as good enough. And that's just insufficient. They have to make some major reforms to the operational ability of the FBI to prevent it from being weaponized. Because just giving it a a new facility or depriving it of a new facility is not going to change the DNA that uh, has been corrupted.
1: No, it, it, exactly. Depriving of the new facility, it all becomes about that. I, I hate it. I hate it. And 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 again, the the problem is the whole Trump thing. A lot of it has distracted, because you know that right away makes it political. But I think you know if they would let you talk more, and and probe that more, it would demonstrate that. Wait a minute. This is something that could easily swing across different ideologies. It's not just the right. Theoretically, everyone should be concerned about what they're doing, right?
0: Yes. I mean, just take that, that quota system. I mean, look, there, we've been told in the aftermath of 9-11 uh, for years upon years, especially from left-wing sources, that, uh, that the FBI has been entrapping Muslim Americans who are not predisposed to committing any sort of terrorist act And they were doing that at the time to justify the FBI's budget and then hit the quotas and check the boxes that they needed to. And and now that the focus has shifted away from that to the quote unquote uh, ethnic extremists, parenthetically white supremacists and anti-government extremists that they they label uh, everybody who who pulls a lever for a Republican candidate for office, uh, it's it's um, it needs to cross. Uh, over party lines and, uh, and ideological uh, views. And I think that most people will, will come around to an idea if, if I stand up and say, look, the FBI has quotas, in, and by hitting them, the senior executives get between thirty and $50,000 bonuses every year. I think that grosses out anybody, whether or not they're voting for Bernie Sanders uh, or Donald Trump for president. So what would
1: you like to see done? What do you think, obviously, again, I, I don't think – I mean Republicans are so weak there's no way they're gonna hold a position of abolishing the FBI, but just you know, a couple percent across the board cuts from the FY twenty twenty three levels is not gonna you know do anything either. What sort of targeted programs and policies need to be dealt with first?
0: Well, they have to defund entirely the intelligence branch of the FBI. It's, it's now an intelligence agency with a law enforcement apparatus, very similar to a Stasi or KGB. And that's not new. That, that was something that Jim Comey brought about in 2014. So it's not like it's been well entrenched in the FBI. Uh, the quota system has to go. And, and I think we need to rethink the way that the FBI is, uh, is able to carry forward investigations uh, and enforce it, it enforce the law. And, and I would propose, um, the, through the appropriations process, so the Republicans uh, have the, uh, the, op- the Office of Personnel Management uh, defund the, uh, the 1811 criminal investigator position, the special agent, and we can disarm the FBI and no longer has the ability to conduct armed investigations or SWAT raids or anything like that, and then force them in an unarmed investigator capacity, and that position does already exist. Uh, you can convert the agents to unarmed investigators, but but force them to partner with local agencies and say you need to get the local agencies' permission to conduct an investigation. You should partner with them on those investigations as a matter of safety. You need to have an armed, state-certified law enforcement officer with you, and and those are federally. Uh, deputized detectives who know what's going on in their area and know where the usual suspects are and they know the issues. So we don't have to listen to a quota system from Washington, D.C. Instead, we can uh, lean on the locals who have the local knowledge. And then when it comes time to uh, conduct an arrest of a of a righteous investigation that the uh that the local agency has approved of, then then that local agency would affect that arrest. And it, it's sort of a stopgap measure from an out of control FBI. It it allows the sheriff who is more responsive yes. to his constituency yes. to be a stopgap measure in a bulwark.
1: So 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 you're you're transitioning now, obviously this is at a federal level, I want to talk about what we can do until and unless we do this at a federal level. But this is something very profound that I think the audience needs to chew on a little bit. You know, you're giving a smart way of doing this. Again, you say, abolish the FBI. Okay, you know, you know we could debate that, and I think it's a strong case, like you're saying. You know, we have state local law enforcement, and then you have drugs, you have the DA, you have the ATF, you have DHS, does all sorts of things. Um, but to the extent you feel you need more, you know, investigatory power on things that are more national in scope, then your point is, okay, so you have the resources, talent, you know, God knows all sorts of tools you guys got there at the FBI. Use it, but you denude them of the thing that could ultimately become the tyranny. I always say the FBI is larger than the standing army itself that our founders feared. And we say, oh, you know, well, the you know military can't be used on their people. Yeah, but the FBI can be. So it's like a bait and switch. So you're saying take away the 1811 status. That's an armed law enforcement officer and you have an office, let's say in Daytona beach and okay, you can investigate, but in terms of the muscle, it's the local law enforcement that would have to take the lead. So if you guys are running away with something like, Hey, we need to go after a bunch of right wingers here just because we don't like them. The sheriff could say, Hey buddy, you know, you're on your own. We're not doing this. We provide the muscle. We will not do that for something like that. It decentralizes the tyranny. I really think that's a very defensible position. Frankly, it's a position the left would have taken until this generation, and I would have abhorred it because, like, what do you mean? You're like you – know, you you're disarming law enforcement and – And I still fundamentally believe that same thing, but that's why you have local law enforcement. I think they should be empowered. They're more responsible. You can't have an unelected Stacey at a federal level. Um, What about about states? Okay, so are there things that states could do right now that you think would somewhat shield us from this sort of, of tyranny or at least bring more transparency to it?
0: Yeah, I think that there are some measures that you can take. I mean, obviously, you're not going to get into an armed conflict uh, between the local authorities and federal authorities. You want to avoid that. But uh, just leaning back on what I I talked about with the task force officers before, there's there's proof of concept there. Those guys actually do work in the FBI. And if there's a a sheriff or police chief who feels the FBI is uh, is is overreaching or become politicized, There's no reason why he uh, or she can't pull their people back from the FBI because uh, personnel-wise, there's only 14,000 special agents in the FBI, and and, and that's just physically impossible to conduct the work nationwide of a country that's roughly close to 400 million people.
1: How many offices
0: are there? There's 56 field offices. There's 40,000 employees but only 14,000 agents. And uh, the majority of them are concentrated in headquarters cities where, uh, you know, those are blue cities. And, but most of the work, and so it's, it's an open secret, and the FBI is, is conducted in the satellite offices that we refer to as resident agencies. And they, like in my office in Daytona, we police an area of four counties, a million people, and we had eight agents.
1: Eight agents. So, whoa, whoa. so this is very important. So this, this is an action item for my state-based teams that you know there is nothing stopping a group of sheriffs encouraged perhaps by a governor yes no state legislature kind of you know even even mandating something like this where the local sheriffs in that area of operation of that office say hey we don't like what you're doing we get the impression that you are targeting people in an unequal fashion for statutes that you never really would have enforced until now, whether it's like the blocking access to healthcare business with, with uh, the pro-life actors and things like that, and these are red areas, like you're saying, the red areas largely, there's not going to be a ton of agents. They rely on the manpower anyway, even short of your legislative proposal to officially make it that way. Like, you know, they are armed, but they still do rely on all the perimeter work at a minimum. Like We will stop working with you, and we're going to make it very public. We're going to work against you. Meaning there's a lot of tranches in between just obsequiously working with evil, you know, operations that shouldn't be done in this country and getting into a shooting war. Okay, So there's a lot of, like, it's kind of a false choice. We could start, first of all, just exposing it. You have the force of local and state law enforcement saying, we don't like you and and name names. We don't like what you're doing here. Um, Is that what you're proposing? I, I think
0: you could. You could gum up the works too another way entirely that uh, the the Biden administration might be hoisted on its own petard, and as it got rid of the ability to use private prisons for uh, for federal prisoners, and it relies on local governments for that. And if you had a sheriff who oversees a, a jail system, say to the federal government, the FBI, I'm not going to house your prisoners. That would really diminish the FBI's ability to to go after people, and maybe maybe that sheriff says only certain prisoners who I I deem to be a righteous Investigation of, or I'm going to house in my facility. So there are some some powers, levers of power that these local guys can use.
1: And again, none of this is foolproof. They could just, you know, build a bigger gulag in DC and whatever they do. But ultimately, it does gum up the works, but it also exposes it. Remember, a lot of this is a PR education war. As I say all the time, despite the despotism we face, we still are largely governed. By public opinion, which in itself is elected despotism, but it is something, and you know they generally do not want the supermajority of the public against them, and that's why they try to keep a lot of this stuff quiet. So you have the force of local law enforcement, which is usually respected in an area, throwing a red flag. You know, there's a bunch of sheriffs saying, "We're not going to service this. We're not going to do this." Um, this is this is really good stuff. I mean, I think I think this stuff really needs, you know, because it it it. Again, it's a more of achievable way of addressing the problem versus just I hate the FBI, abolish FBI, but then we just kind of ignore, you know, don't get anything done where we can get it done, um, and then allow this charade to continue. Um, this is kind of the way to have a sanctuary state, sanctuary county versus federal tyranny. My w- one one question I'm just trying to figure out here from your end, and and you'll let me know what you think you know, headed forward. Do you have any confidence that we're going to have these programs defunded? Like you mentioned,
0: you know, it, it's I'm 50, 50. Uh, you know, if you'd asked me that uh, before I had a hearing because it was so long of a delay, I would say no. Um, and then in the immediate aftermath, I think there was a lot of, of public appetite for the information we had. And then um, I think that obviously the, uh, the Repu- Republicans are elected and they want to be responsive to their constituents. Um, but if they lose focus and they become the cat with a laser pointer and they just start talking about Hunter Biden and, and impeachment, and they're just going to run out of time and, and they're going to wind up passing one of these continuing resolutions and yes. an omnibus bill. And as a result of that, we're just going to have more of the same, if not an enhanced FBI, which – the FBI is asking for more money, and they got a record amount last year, $11.7 billion, And they're asking for any, even more now on top of the new headquarters. And, and that's a lot. mostly tied to the fact that they're able to say, look what we did. We hit all of our quotas. Give us more money, and we'll do even better.
1: You know, th- th- this, is, this is really important. I mean, I, I think the contrast you're giving, and again, I know it's not popular with some, but I'm glad you mentioned the Hunter Biden thing. I don't mind exposing it. But here's the bitter pill. The bitter reality is personal scandals on the left don't land like they do on the, you know, among Republicans. They just don't. And the better way of spending your time is defensive measures for the people. That you're standing for civil liberties, that that, that is a better fight to have um and it just more addresses where the people are harmed. Um, I don't even care, ironically, I mean, I know this sounds very weird, I don't even care about the corruption. I care about our life, liberty, and property on the line. Um, I I would take a corrupt government if that's all it was, they had some pay for play, but left us alone. But this has gotten so bad with what we saw from COVID, it's literally our life. I mean, I didn't even get to that today, Um, a Swiss study out that that shows a 3% rate of heart inflammation, 3% rate, which is very, very high. Uh, One in 35 among people in their sample. So there's a lot going on here. We need to focus that we're concerned about the life and prosperity and health of the people. I don't think the tit for tat with scandals, Trump versus Biden, is going to really get us anywhere. Um, One more thing I wanted to broach before we close this up, and I'd love to continue this at at a later date, is FBI informants. I, I never thought much about them until January 6th. But, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think, like, on the movies, wow, this is great. You get into an organization and disrupt it and expose it, and that's how you break up plots. And, you know, on paper, it sounds very, very good. But that's when you have a prima facie threat, and it's a very big, looming threat. So you want to get in there, and you have an informant to go and disrupt it. But are we now seeing, and we saw this with January 6th, we saw it with the Whitmer kidnapping, and, and my concern is even dating back to the San Diego cell of 9-11, you know, the Pentagon hijackers from the, um, the Saudi part of the 9-11 commission report, declassified in 2016, that those guys were FBI informants. The more I look at this, how many things did the FBI themselves create and induce rather than disrupt criminal activity that was already there?
0: It happens all the time, especially on a national security perspective. And then the reason for that is that, uh, one, uh, all FBI agents have to have two two active informants. It's another quota, regardless of what, whether or not they're providing good information. But uh, the national security space, there's a, there's a huge bucket of money there, and, and those informants are only paid if they provide good intel back to their handler. And uh, as a result of that, they will go and infiltrate these groups that they think are going to provide them that, and then they will sort of drive them to do things that they're not predisposed to do so that they can have Mm. that information to bring back to their handler. And then uh, on other times, especially in these larger groups, they're infiltrated by multiple informants, and the informants don't know that there are other informants in the group, so they sort of one-up each other because they each want to be productive and have information. So if you and I both infiltrated an organization, I would say, Hey, we need to go do X. And you would say, well, let's go do X plus one. And then I would have to one up. You Well, let's do X plus two. And as a result of that, the the group sort of gets rolled up into this mentality and it's completely driven by an informant who is hoping to get a paycheck at the end of it. And then now you have the Wolverine Watchman uh, incident that happened up in Michigan with that plot to kidnap the governor was, sort of contrived by the informants and the undercovers involved and the individuals that got swept up in the dragnet really were entrapped, arguably.
1: Yep, yep. So they basically target low-lying fruit, losers, people that are down on their luck, don't have a very good life, and they're very susceptible, they need money, so they come in and they know who they are. The most vulnerable among us. Yep, the most vulnerable. And they just create... Uh, this incentive to go and, and uh, concoct something. And again, you're saying it's all driven by quotas. Quotas, not targeting the problem, but creating a problem. Um, even, and, and it's interesting, because you know, we focus on the wokeness, but what you're talking about is structurally, even without the wokeness, that's a problem. Those quota systems need to be defunded, whether it's for informants, whether it's for a certain number of cases, Um, So we prioritize what what is needed. I mean, these are the type of reforms that at a minimum we should do. But again, I love the sanctuary ideas. Very, very important. Where could people find more about your work at the Center for Renewing America?
0: Uh, Yes, you can go to uh, americarenewing.com. And uh, there's, there's lots of information there about woke, weaponized government. Um, I am a fellow on domestic intelligence and domestic security services, but uh, we address multiple issues there. And actually, today we're going to be putting out a recommended uh, budget for the for the House Freedom Caucus to to look into for significantly pairing back the FBI, uh, especially with regards to the quota system, to the intelligence branch, uh, and on other issues as well. And, uh, and I'm always sharing our information on Twitter. Uh, my my handle is at Real Steve and, uh, and shameless plug, I do have a, a book that is now out and published. It's called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. It uh, sort of details the information that I brought forward and as well as the FBI's efforts. They told me to redact almost all of it, but it is unredacted and you can learn about my experience Uh there, are the last uh, ten months.
1: Perfect. No, I had that on order, and I forgot to mention it before. But you have really paid a big price, and you know a lot of people then become celebrities on click conservative media. But you, I know you share my view about conservative media, and you know you really haven't, you know, earned a living off of this. You've taken a huge hit. And you thought that you were doing it because policy-wise it would land, and unfortunately so far it has not, but you're undeterred, and and it's kind of in the spirit of what we do on this show. You're looking for action items, you're publishing it, giving it to the Freedom Caucus, saying, here's the line, stand on this line, it's achievable, it's easy to message, it is something that, you know, is something we should all stand by if we all claim to believe that this is a problem, or is this just like, Trump, 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 Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, hold some hearings... Maybe get to impeachment, and then nothing changes, and we are not protected, and the prosecutions go on and on and on. the J6 stuff is expanding, and God knows what else they're they're looking into uh, uh, former agent Steve friends, thanks so much for really doing your patriotic duty here and really looking forward to speaking to you again
0: and thank you very much for having me Daniel.
1: take care, God bless. And, folks, you know, I just want to spend a couple minutes here, even though it's getting late, but I'll give you some extra time because I will be out Thursday, so a little shorter week. I'll be back Friday. Um, you know, I do recommend you get his book, True Blue, and it really is the embodiment of what it means to back the blue. I'm sick of this mindless back the blue. Steve Friend embodies back the blue. That's what it means to be mission oriented. And I will tell you a lot of people and look, I must say, whether it's COVID or these other things, a lot of people, they kind of initially took a hit, but then they became an institution in and of itself. And it almost became like, they're almost doing better off now that they kind of left the system because they became their own thing. And they're just a talk show host They're a you know, they go to conferences, they make a lot of money. He has not been part of that orbit. He's not been brought into the Trump orbit. He has openly expressed disappointment with Jim Jordan. Um, And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, nothing personal to our friends at uh, Center for Renewing America, but I'm sure he's not earning a ton of money from them. And I don't think he has another job. Um, He's really in a tough situation here. He is really in a tough situation. And he figured he'd make changes and yeah, you know, no one's doing anything. And I could tell you he is he's in agreement with our politics here. He's a big listener to my show and Steve's show, our way of thinking about click servitism and all that. And he's like, I don't get get it. Like they don't even want to know what I have to say at these hearings. Um I spoke to him for a while yesterday and it was very, very illuminating. Uh so this is he really is true blue in many, many respects that he really believes in it and wants to see something done about it. Not just talk about it. Every Republican will talk about it. But so it gave some very concrete understanding there. He says, look, that relationship is very tenuous. Eight agents there out of um, the Daytona Beach office, like they rely on local law enforcement. Governors, state legislatures, sheriffs, this is, this is a big action item. That we need to say, wait a minute, if you're rounding up new J6 people that are accounted for times 10 already, under anyone's definition of criminality, we will not work with you. And obviously he said to take it a step further and say, we're going to just defund 1811 status. Those are the armed federal agents. And uh, I agree with that. If the FBI, what, what do we need the FBI? More guns? We have plenty of that. You need them supposedly for their intel. And, you know, to, get, to give you more investigatory tools that maybe augment local law enforcement when they need it. Okay, so augment it. But allow the guns to be wielded by the people with the most accountability. I'm not saying all is well at, at a local law enforcement level either, but it's certainly much better than having a centralized FBI that could grab you any And I think that is the way you decentralize and disrupt this Fourth Reich. And he's really onto something there. So this is this is really important. You know, he could have easily joined the kind of, you know, toilet paper USA grift. He has not. He is not for good, good reason. Um, and he sees a lot of what we're seeing and understands what needs to be done. Wise men, men of the times that know what ought to be done, like it says in Chronicles, Steve Friends certainly is one of them. I just want to close by noting there's, there's an article I'm looking at Uh, From the UK Telegraph, Italy needs migration amidst Georgia Maloney as she softens her stance. This was the big populist right-leaning leader. We were all happy she won in Italy. And now when they get in there, they start softening it. And and, and I'm just like, this is what we, we, we've seen this our whole life. Everyone campaigns to the right. Because very few people want to hear what the left ultimately does. At least in a center, right-of-center country. But then they don't do it. And, and this is what a lot of us are, you know, and I think there's problems in the campaign with DeSantis. They need to up their game, but you know, he overdelivers. This is when do you ever find a freaking guy like that? We 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 cannot go and say we're gonna drive a guy like that into the ground. What lesson is that gonna teach the Tim Scotts, the Christy Gnomes, the Greg Abbotts, the the Bill Lees, the Henry McMasters, all these guys it's going to be keep playing the game talk tough talk trump do crap it's time to do point and shoot that's a problem identify it identify what needs to be done what are the leverage points do them anything short of that is nonsense and not worth your time till tomorrow god bless y'all